morning and welcome to this episode of Spikes on Thursday the 5th of March and today I'm in the passenger seat of the car as um, Gina's driving we're heading from Yeovil in Somerset up to Newmarket in East Anglia so a journey of a couple of hundred miles um, going to take my father to the doctor again today um, going through a period sadly where he's um, needing a bit more help and support uh, to get through this part of his life um, anyway I thought today I might just um, share with you some of the thoughts of our good friend Chris Russell um, from his recently published book about qualifying for the Boston Marathon and um, I'm just going to want to read you a chapter from the book if I may um, Chris uh, lays out a very clear training plan and uh, obviously if you're going to try to qualify for the Boston Marathon this is a, a quite a challenge because the Boston Marathon has a limited field and um, to get yourself into that field you're going to have to qualify at a pace that is going to put you pretty well at the top end of your age group pace I would suggest. Um, there are charity places available for some people but those who are perhaps seeking to race it are going to be pushing themselves hard and with typical honesty Chris describes in chapter 14 the dark place the place where you're going to have to go to if you really want to achieve this qualifying pace so let me share with you the dark place the marathon BQ training plan is hard when you get into the meat of the plan you will find yourself in a physical and mental state of exhaustion you will find yourself in the dark place if qualifying for Boston was easy anyone could do it and it would lose its worthiness as a goal the dark place is where many aspirants will become overwhelmed with the training and give up on their quest it is also the place where you will learn what you are made of like hell week or any other physical or mental initiation this is the price that the marathon bq plan expects you to pay for your goals there will come a time in the execution of this plan when you lose hope you'll be staring at yet another monster workout or long run you'll be tired and out of time it will take all you have to drag yourself through your workouts you'll feel exhausted all the time and wonder at your own sanity those of us who have lived through the dark place know its intensity let me tell you a story it was out on a long run with my friends Brian and Frank both Brian and Frank are shall we say seasoned amateur athletes they're just normal guys with mortgages wives kids regular jobs and tuitions to pay both of them run Boston with me every year and both of them have beaten the three-hour marathon barrier at Boston over the last couple of years but are now slowing it down again to my speed both have qualification streaks of over a decade we were talking about qualification standards we're of the opinion that any normal person who's willing to put in the work can run the qualification standards but we have done it 
and that gives us a different vantage point. In this conversation, at one point Frank's brow furrowed and a shadow crept over his countenance. He uttered the phrase, If you're willing to go to that dark place. Brian and I nodded gravely and suppressed shudders. We know about the dark place. For us mortals of normal ability, the only way for us to achieve these A-level goals is to traverse the dark place at some point in our training. To know the dark place is to know weeks of cold and dark and ceaseless, mindless and mostly joyless work. The only way through the dark place is to keep moving forward or to jump out of the boat. There is indeed a loss of self in this quest. Where just about everything else is put on hold and you commit monk-like to the work. The training schedule becomes a driving tyrannical metronome of one impossible workout after another. There are no garbage miles. There are no fun runs in the dark place. Every workout is too hard. Every workout is a punishment. Today we will run a five mile speed workout. Tomorrow we will run a three hour long run. It makes no sense so we shut the mind off and throw ourselves like a punch drunk soldier into the shield wall again and again until either we break or we come out the other side, blinking into the light to run our race. We look back on these campaigns with wonder, as if we're looking at some other person, because indeed we become some other person, or half-person, or animal, and pitch to the storm blows of work. Like a storm, when you're inside, you're only thinking about how to stay on your feet and brace for the next wave. Is it the achievement at the end that drives us to the slave galley of the dark place? Or is it the ecstasy of the mindlessness that comes with the work? The way it narrows your focus, your cares become very simple. How can I get enough rest to hit that next workout with the intensity required? When can I schedule the two hours I need on Thursday? Other, more mundane things become spurious. And yes, in this way it becomes an addiction because it begins to crowd out everything else in your life. Your thoughts tunnel to when and where you ne your next workout will be, your next fix. That is what we mean when we say that anyone can do it if they're willing to do the work. What we really mean what we wear like a bizarre badge of honour is that we are willing to go to the dark place to achieve our goals. This, my friends, is really the difference. Not talent, not grace, but the ability of a normal, everyday person to subvert self towards a goal. It is the purification ritual of our sport, and that is why we hold it in high esteem. My dad used to say to me when I was younger that the reason you want good grades is that it shows you're either smart or work hard, and either way it's a good sign. In much the same way, when we make the qualification standards for the Boston Marathon, it means that we are either talented or willing to work hard, or some combination of both. When I first started running, I thought I was dedicated with my 15 to 20 mile weeks and occasional long runs but I did not know success until I found my line deep within the dark place. 
everyone draws his or her own line. It's a choice, and it is a choice only you can make. But this sport, this pursuit, this sometime obsession is not a spectator sport. You cannot claim the wisdom of a traveller by looking at posters and brochures. You have to go. You have to meet the people and eat the food and drink the water. You cannot claim camaraderie with the veterans if you are not in the war. You cannot claim a veteran's runner's zeitgeist unless you've gone to the dark place and come out again. To truly know the joy of the sport, the heft and weight of its experience, you have to get down and roll on it and soak up its stench. The dark place is not an easy journey. Many will break before they're through, but even the broken will have forged well in the heat of it. Some people will see an unhealthy pursuit, an obsession and an addiction. We know the truth. It is a journey through personal challenge that pits us against our own nemesis, our own selves. When we emerge, we emerged well forged and whole. If you've been to the dark place, you know this. If you've not, you will never be able to know or to judge until you seek and find your line. When you find yourself in the dark place, what do you do to keep going and complete the plan? First, expect the dark place about two-thirds of the way through your training plan. Know it's coming and you'll be better able to deal with it and take the negative emotion and impact out of it. Second, trust the plan. When things get hard, do not second guess or look too far into the future. Take one day at a time. All you need to do is execute today's workout. The rest will take care of itself. Third, get an accountability partner. Have someone you can compare notes with, ideally someone who's going through the same plan. Being able to talk about the challenge makes it easier to rationalize and get through. Your journey through the dark place will be a painful and scary journey. It's also where you will learn what you are capable of as an athlete and as a person. You'll be challenged, but you will come out of the other end stronger. So there we go. Those are Chris's thoughts on the dark place. Um, you may have already experienced it. You may not. Um, but I think if you really want to set yourself a hard running goal, you will have to get there at some point. Um, and actually, there is a great sense of um, achievement when you get through it. I've, I've been there myself. Um, and it's interesting with, um, with my, me recording this with Gina sat beside me because she would probably, if I asked her, have a slight um, sense of scoffing at this this uh, notion of the dark place that, that's perhaps more male than female in its, in its thinking. But of course, top female athletes or top female achievers, I guess, would have to experience the, the dark place in their own sense as well. So maybe it's more of a human trait than a gender trait. But I think something's in the male psyche that... Um, that is about measuring up against other men. And <laughs> now this has led me down another little pathway, which is to tell you that um, 
in the Guardian newspaper over the last couple of days. They've been reporting on um, on a study that's appeared in the British Journal of Urology on penis size, and uh, it's a metadata study that's looked at um, measuring average penis size across. Well, it's, it suggests it's across the world. Actually, when you look into some more detail of the study, the main results have come from U- European studies and studies in the Middle East. Um, and this is the most viewed page in The Guardian over the past 24 hours. And I looked. Yep, I can't help it. I have to tell you that I did look, and uh, one is immediately <laughs> minded to be um, either... A sense of pleasure that one is uh, slightly above average or not I, I guess <laughs> and it is this strange male thing isn't it uh, anyway I don't think we need to go any further down that particular pathway it's just that as I was uh, as I got into my thinking about this particular podcast it did uh, come back to my mind so uh, Chris's book is uh, I hope you sensed from that chapter that I read to you it's typically well crafted uh, you know Chris Russell, uh, the Run Run Live podcast, highly professional in what he does, um, not only with running but in all of his facets of his life. One gets the impression that he's a dedicated man who wants to achieve the very best. And uh, and I think the book is a very worthwhile read. Um, I will put the uh, links in the show notes so you'll be able to get hold of a copy if you would like to. Um, and... I would also tell you that Chris is actually running the Boston Marathon this year. Um, If you don't know, he is running to raise money for Team Hoyt. Um, If you don't know about Team Hoyt, then I would suggest you uh, look on YouTube. Look up Dick and Rick Hoyt, and that's H-O-Y-T. Rick and Dick have completed the Boston Marathon on a number of occasions. And, and many other endurance events. And if you want to be um, inspired, then look up Team Hoyt and watch some of the footage of what those two guys have achieved. It's very stirring. Okay, so a few miles done. I think I'm gonna call a halt to recording here because um, it's strange, actually, when I record in the car, I find it makes my voice uh, struggle a little bit. I think it's because I'm pushing my voice just a little bit to get over the volume of the traffic noise. So I'll call a halt for now and uh, maybe put a little bit more on the end of this podcast later. Take care, everyone. Talk to you again soon. Well, here I am again. It's Wednesday, the 15th of April. Gosh. That's five weeks since uh, I last recorded. Sorry it's been so long, everyone. I'll explain what's been going on. Um, No excuses, of course. Just stuff. I suppose the first thing is that um, I picked up a, a knee pain in my right knee which just would not shift very much. 
and indeed even this morning I'm aware of it uh, so not quite sure what's happening there um, anyway I guess I've had the least running that I've had for years over this period just the odd mile here and three miles there but uh, anyway I thought that I really must record and get spikes up there not least because um, I've just received recordings from our good friend Honest Jim and uh, rather than tag those onto this particular session I thought I'd do him the honour of his own show with those so this is really just me finishing off a recording I started all those weeks ago um, the other significant thing that's happened is uh, I've been using my rowing machine so having purchased my Concept 2 I've been using that almost daily not many days I don't get on it um, and really enjoying that exercise uh, I think it's somewhat more whole body than than running uh, yeah, it really has altered my shape a bit definitely more shoulder development but it's also great for core work um, and I'm really a concentrated effort um, of course being a typical data geek I've uh, logged my rows and by using the concept site um, my performance is logged against other rowers of my age around the world that's quite fun um, also gives one a target to work for uh, my the distance I like to rank myself on 
it's 2,000 meters and uh, managed to get my best time down to eight minutes, 2.1 seconds. Um, and that, boy, <laughs> that really is a hang on by the fingertips pace for me. Uh, it's a sort of effort where you get to the end and you think, hmm, I might be seeing my lunch again soon. <laughs> it really does put you on the rack. But you know, other times I've just sat there on a steady pace row. Um, my longest distance, maybe 5,000 meters on it. Uh, inevitably, there are times people have recorded for half marathon and marathon distance on a rowing machine. <coughs> well, maybe <coughs> another time. <laughs> so that's been <coughs> a really good investment for me. And I think it's why <coughs> this um, this period of trying to get over my knee injury hasn't felt anything like as frustrating as it might have done because I've had a, a really good alternative to uh, to work against because so, um, the other thing in the past few weeks is that Gina and I managed to get away for a week of skiing. Uh, got over to Austria, um, stayed in a, a village, a village of Flachau, um, which was great. Uh, we um, took a fairly late deal and got a very good price on a hotel with full board. Um, <laughs> so I'll come back to the eating in a minute. But uh, a bit late in the season, it's the third week of March, we went out, but there was still snow on the piste. And of course, you know, a modern alpine resort, um, extremely well managed. 
so uh, it meant that whilst there was very little snow left in the valley we still had plenty of snow to ski on and uh, yeah, first day did uh, two or three hours but yeah, it's the first time skiing for a couple of years uh, I didn't get to ski last year thank you as it was all a bit uh, post-surgery around that time last year and uh, uh, skiing wasn't really on the calendar so yeah, I've had a bit of a break um, we simply decided that we would ski for a couple of hours on the first day got into the third hour thought no no point in knocking ourselves out on day one and uh, trip back to the hotel um, one of the reasons for choosing a particular hotel was that we had a, a very nice swimming pool there full sauna facilities it was a small gym but it was really really well equipped so uh, we went back to the pool which was more like a thermal spring really warm um, now I don't just float around in pools I have to swim lengths and uh, just knocked out 40 lengths not a big pool but again you know exercise that I've not done for a while and uh, it was so warm it's actually really too warm for training in but it was lovely and relaxing and uh, every day I used the sauna as well they had a, a Finnish sauna an infrared sauna and uh, and a steam room so it was luxury for me Gina not so keen on saunas certainly not finished ones although she did use the infrared but uh, for her the the very warm pool was just a delight and she uh, carried on with a few more lengths of swimming than I did every day uh, uh, so after day one we then did fuller days for the rest of the week although we only I mean, we were on the slopes by the 9.30ish and uh, we would start to head down again at around 2.30 in the afternoon now, you know this is for many a short day 
but for us, it was the right amount to allow our knees and other joints to get through the week without significant damage. Um, also, we, we don't tend to eat what well, we didn't eat on the slopes this time because uh, the hotel deal was full board uh, which meant a good breakfast and at breakfast it was entirely acceptable to make up some cheese and ham rolls to take on the mountain with you so we did that um, and as I said the snow was really pretty good but by middle of the afternoon the lower slopes were getting a little bit sugary and sticky so we would uh, we would come down from the middle beasts we'd get the the uh, eight person gondola down off the slopes and um, there we would eat our roll as we came down <laughs> but because the hotel was full board by the time we got back lunch was available from 3pm to 5pm now it was a it's a simple lunch salad with a, a hot dish um, you know potatoes and hams and bacon um, some pasta dishes you know straightforward food but <laughs> despite having had our roll we actually got back to the hotel skis into the ski locker up to the bar for a small beer and then we take some lunch <laughs> and uh, we try to be sensible you know if you're gonna eat a lot then we decided that that should be the pasta uh, sorry the salad um, and we'd only take a small amount of the carbs so we'd have lunch We'd usually um, rest for maybe 40 minutes to an hour and then down to the pool to swim and sauna uh, and that saw us ready for dinner by about seven and dinner was five courses. So, as you might imagine, it wasn't a week for losing weight, but equally, we didn't pile on masses. You know, skiing for us is, is quite a physical effort, so we were putting in good effort all day. Um, I think I've said on spikes before that 
in my time in the military, I used to uh, do racing, ski racing. Uh, giant slalom was the event that I raced in. Um, now, you know, within my own little sphere, I was tolerably quick. <laughs> yeah. But I'm talking about, to give you a comparison, I suppose it made me a decent club runner. You know, um, perhaps on the edge of county or, or state trials. But, you know, I wasn't uh, any of the greatest ski stars. That wasn't me knocking at their door by any stretch of the imagination. But it does mean that when we ski, um, often I'm quite eager to ski quite hard for a while. But I tend to find these days that, you know, a couple of long, hard runs is about it for me and very happy to spend the rest of the day just trying to stay elegant in control um, hoping to be skiing for another 10 years type skiing <laughs> and uh, yep I have to say that that was a great holiday and you know I don't um, I don't focus much on my cancer of last year, but there are just times when I feel immense gratitude to still be around, still enjoying life, still able to ski and run and row and motorcycle, all those things. Uh, I feel very fortunate and blessed every day on this wonderful earth of ours. Uh, perhaps while I mention my um, health and management of it, uh, interesting thought. I was reading a piece in the Guardian newspaper yesterday. Um, somebody wondering how on earth people find time to follow long TV series, uh, even in box sets, because, uh, you know, there is. There are many great shows out there. You know, I've, uh, I've got to yet see series five of The Wire. I'm currently on season five of Breaking Bad. And I have to say that a bit of a silver lining story for me really 
um, every day, every morning, now starts some point with me having to irrigate through my stoma, which is a simple task. You just uh, allow water to flow into your system uh, via a simple gravity feed. Um, and it acts yeah, simply like an enema and uh, flushes all the poo out of my system. Um, don't worry, no more graphic than that. Uh, it's a very good way of allowing me then to have a very, if you will, normal life of um, functioning, you know, living for the next 24 hours without concerns of needing to change my colostomy bag or, or leakage. You know, stuff that, when you work, is public-facing. It just feels pretty important. So anyway, this uh, irrigation technique is very simple. But it does take between 40 minutes and an hour each morning, of which a lot of time is simply sitting and waiting for the uh, for the happenings to happen and of course this is now my little personal DVD viewing time and uh, I do all this sat in the shower stool and uh, have a portable DVD player and uh, you know I can't do anything else so let me enjoy catching up with I uh, just some modern television it is interesting isn't it I don't know how it is where you are but my view is that uh, television now has become huge peaks and massive troughs. You know, I look at the listings of an evening and think, well, there's just nothing, nothing there that interests me at all. And yet, at the same time, we are making such good quality TV. And uh, for me, the great thing about these series and uh, things like the Breaking Bad and, and The Wire, if you get a chance to watch it, go back to the original BBC version of The State of Play. Get that on DVD. Um, there was a film version with Russell Crowe and the film 
is good. You know, don't don't knock it. But because the original BBC TV drama was over six episodes, you get much stronger character development, much richer, more textured storytelling. And you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of cinema, as you know. But uh, sometimes, you know, you just don't have time in a film to make the protagonist's motivations really clear and genuine. Anyway, that's my my thoughts. Uh, talking about films. This week we saw Inherent Vice, a film that was out last year. Um, Saw it at our local art house. Uh, One of my favourite actors, Wacom Phoenix, and uh, a strong cast. Uh, But uh, a strange film. Um, I really think an indulgent film by the director called Thomas Anderson who is you know his own man <coughs> he makes the films that he envisages and uh, can't knock him for that but also the source the novel was by Thomas Pynchon and uh, I just remember many years ago trying to read Thomas Pynchon novel I'm just thinking it was like I'm trying to read the works of the the beat poets you know Kerouac et al um, which I've I have read and tried to convince myself they are full of meaning and depth and yet, <laughs> I guess I just don't have the imagination to see where the depth is going, what it means. Anyway, that was how I felt about Thomas Pynchon. So I guess the film Inherent Vice was always going to struggle. Um, so, just heading back in too. St. James's Park. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. I've just taken an easy three miles. Um, I very consciously haven't timed it. You know, this is a return to the road, really. So, there was no point in whacking on the watch today. And indeed, if the watch is on, I find it much harder recording. I'd much rather try and record at the pace I was at today. I hope it was tolerably coherent. Um, And to you all, I'm sorry you've had to wait a long time for this episode of Spikes. 
but as ever, run, row, ride, swim, simply live with joy. Beautiful places